Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, Virtual Couch favorite, Pastor Chris Young of Summit Church in Lincoln joins me to talk about some tough topics about mental health issues, anxiety, depression, and we even tackle the difficult subject of suicide. If you are struggling with any of these very difficult topics, emotions, feelings, or if you know someone that is, I promise you, you're going to get something powerful from the interview with Pastor Chris today. And then I also include the message I spoke at Pastor Chris's church this past Sunday of the message of how to navigate out of those negative and destructive thoughts. There's so much coming up here. So that and more coming up on the virtual couch. Hey, before we get started today, I do want to talk about my friends at BetterHelp.com. Now, I typically read emails that I receive from listeners, and those emails are fantastic. I think my point there was I wanted people to recognize that they are getting help through BetterHelp.com, specifically BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch. But I was listening to BetterHelp.com has ads on a lot of different uh, podcasts, a lot of my favorite podcasts. And I was listening to one of the, the reads of the ad and it was wonderful. It was fantastic. The data was there. But, you know, it kind of dawned on me, hey, I'm a therapist. Um, this is, I, I believe everybody could use a little bit of therapy in their life, truly, to be able to process difficult things to be able to go, to work through things that they've always kind of st- been stuck on or things that have just kicked around in their head that they're afraid to talk about or things that they're even aware of that are holding them back from living an incredible life. And I know part of that struggle can be finding a therapist. It can be if there aren't a lot of therapists in your area. And let's be honest, it can be for a lot of people, there's still a very negative stigma around therapy. And it can be the process of having to go to a therapist, worrying about who I will see, who who will I see in the parking lot or in the waiting room, or what if the receptionist gives me the stink eye, whatever it is, I understand. So that's where betterhelp.com comes in. So if you go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, you can set up an account there and they have a very broad range of expertise. I've looked through this. They have people that are um, amazing therapists and with treating OCD, treating anxiety, depression, uh, anxiety. I said anxiety, but uh, lots of people that can treat anxiety there. But they have different modalities. My favorite one, acceptance and commitment therapy. They have um, acceptance and commitment therapy therapists, cognitive behavioral therapists. They have behavioral ther- They have so many options there. But the key is when you go, when you sign up, when you go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, you do fill out some assessment paperwork and they do a very, very phenomenal job at matching you with a therapist that is going to most likely click. But here's the cool part. If, if the therapist, if you don't click with the therapist, they make it very painless to even change therapists. So there's a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which might not be available in your local your local area. It's available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and you can send a message to your therapist and they will get uh, you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't necessarily have to come sit in the uncomfortable waiting room. And they you can start communicating often in less than 24 hours. I'll be super honest. I I have a very blessed um, practice. I I I get uh, referrals literally daily from the podcast, from uh, people that I've worked with before. And it, it honestly, it breaks my heart that sometimes I feel like I can't even, I don't have enough time to even get back to people. And I feel so bad about that. And that's where I honestly love the fact that you can start communicating with somebody in 24 to 48 hours. If you have tried to find a therapist, sometimes you'll know that you might not hear back from them and you're ready. You you want help. So they're, they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and it's easy. It's free to change counselors if you need it. It's more affordable, I'll be honest, than traditional offline counseling. 
and they have financial aid. So they really want you to start living a happier life today, and I'm going to be honest, I do too. So please go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. If you do that, you will receive 10% off your first month's service. And uh, and, and now I can't lie, if you go to betterhelp.com, um, slash virtual couch and you go through there, then, you know, that, sure, it's a, there, there is going to be a little something that can help me with the cost of the podcast. So I would be grateful if you went through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. All right. Um, go do it today. It's time to start getting help. Betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind you once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And please stop by the virtual couch page on Instagram. I'm doing weekly questions and answers, a little bit of Instagram TV. So please follow along there or on the virtual couch page on Facebook or the Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page. Go give them a like. And if you like anything about the podcast, please recommend, share, rate, review, all those wonderful things. And very quickly, go to TonyOverbay.com, sharing more and more there about the upcoming release of my book, which is called He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions. Had a meeting this morning with uh, co-author Josh Shea, and I just have to tell you, the book is coming along well. Some really, really good advanced reviews. I really don't think there's anything like it. Um, I play the role of the expert. He is the former addict, and we answer just a ton of questions that go into the world of addiction, betrayal, trauma, that sort of thing. So let's get to today's show. I am very excited about this. I have a guest that a lot of Virtual Couch listeners like, they resonate with. Um, That is Pastor Chris Young, who is pastor of the Summit Christian Church, which is located in Lincoln, California. And this past Sunday, Pastor Chris asked me to take the stage with him and delivered a message of hope, a message that was surrounded around the topic of mental health and all the challenges that we have. And I love the way that he has brought mental health into the world of faith, uh, the world of Christianity, and he just does an incredible job talking about that and why more talk about mental health issues in, in church are necessary. Uh, and and I, I won't even go into the details because he hits that really hard here in the interview. But I just, I, if you, if I just, these are one of those interviews that I really just, if you don't feel like this is something that you are necessarily interested in, just you know, clean the house, drive around in the car, go do some yard work, but just let this thing sit in the earbuds and just give it a listen because we talk about we talk about a lot about faith, and, and I don't think it really matters what your faith uh, background is or what uh, denomination you are. We, we really cover a lot of good things about just discovering your own faith. Pastor Chris lays out just a pretty beautiful story about his journey 
as a pastor and some of the struggles that he's had that haven't included some mental health um, challenges. And he's just very, very vulnerable, very raw. And then we, we really do a deep dive into the topic of suicide. And you'll see why that's one of the main reasons that he put together this series at his church throughout the month of October to talk about mental health. And I just, I honestly feel like the talk around suicide, that uh, it's a hard topic to talk about, but I feel like, um, I don't I feel like uh, Pastor Chris and I just covered some ground and hopefully it can help people that if they are struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideations, or it will give people who are around people or know of people who may run into people someday that are struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideations. I think that that part can be really beneficial. And then what I'm going to do, and this is going to be a long episode because then I'm going to have a little bit of a transition, a little music after Pastor Chris and I are done and we go for quite a while. And then I'm going to actually play the episode, um, the message from uh, Summit Christian Church. And you'll hear at the beginning of this episode, when Pastor Chris and I begin to talk, that I, I said I think that we were going to just basically go over a lot of the notes that we had talked about in his message on Sunday. But we ended up going an entirely different direction. So I am just going to go ahead and um, play that entire message at Pastor Chris's church this past Sunday on mental health. So you're going to get a lot of stuff here. You're going to get a lot of things about even uh, what it's like to go on the path of becoming a, a pastor and some of the challenges that he's had there. And you're, we're going to talk a lot about faith. We're going to talk a lot about a lot about growth and a lot about mental health. We're going to t- tackle the topic of suicide, and then we really hit mental health and what to do about anxiety, depression, uh, this, those those kind of negative thoughts that we have in our head. We hit that a lot in the message that comes from Pastor Chris's uh, church. So um, sit back, relax, get a little popcorn. This one's going to be a long one, but it's going to be good. And if you want to see any video of Pastor Chris and I, the video of the sermon or the, the message itself is up on my Virtual Couch YouTube channel. And then the video of the interview is up there as well. Those are two separate files. So uh, I really appreciate all of the support. I know a lot of people really have appreciated Pastor Chris. I will say that too. Go look in the archives. Pastor Chris and I have done two episodes before, and they are both out on YouTube as well. But uh, I have two podcast episodes when we talk about marriage, when we talk about parenting that I think are uh, good episodes as well. All right, let me uh, get to this interview with my buddy, my friend, Pastor Chris Young from Summit Church. And action. Is that? Oh, yeah. Sound waves. Perfect. All right. And I'll come in at the beginning. So, PC, Pastor Chris Young. Welcome to the virtual couch. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know this is a big deal. I I, I have listeners that have been uh, fans of yours since we did the episodes about a year ago. Oh, good. Right? We did one on marriage. We did one on parenting. Right. And uh, and we just finished one Sunday, and uh, the topic was mental health. Mental health. And uh, yeah, navigating yeah. through some of the tough tough stuff with mental health. Yeah, and uh, so we were how many minutes? We had twenty five minutes, thirty minutes. I think you and I did thirty. Okay, that's hard. Yeah. Right. To get, so, in, to get in anything that uh, can really affect change. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad we're getting to do a little follow-up. Me too. So our too. goal tonight is we are going to basically go over the notes that we had down for that episode, and then I'm going to follow up with the episode itself as a bonus episode. Or not the episode itself. I've said the word episode far too many times. <laughs> uh, the message that we recorded right. at your church, yeah. at Summit Church in Lincoln, California. MySummit.church, if anybody wants to go, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And all of Pastor Chris's messages are there, and there are, so, there are so many that are good. I mean, I've actually, I've watched a lot of them, and I've learned about, you cover everything, topics about everything from money management, uh, faith, again, parenting, right. um, relationships, and I think that's what a lot of the listeners, virtual couch listeners love, is that, you know, you're kind of keeping it real, as the kids say, but you're also 
a very um, you know Christ-centered person yeah. in church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If um, I, I kind of figured out that if people can't uh, make faith work inside the context of their marriage or their money or their parenting or their mental health, yeah, then uh, they start losing the need for it. And and really, if you do look all throughout Scripture, you just see. Uh, one context after the other where God is right in the middle of our messiness. Uh-huh. And so I think for too long, churches have avoided really messy topics. And and so I like getting in there. I like that. That's sort of the way I live out my faith. So I, I hope other people live their faith that way. Okay. I like that. And that's going to be perfect for, because I want to talk about what led you to, you've done a whole series in October. Right. Right. And before we do that, uh, I want to deep dive into who is Pastor Chris? <laughs> Cue the music. We don't. We don't right? want to. We don't want to go that deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But no. When did you start? Have you always been? Um, have you always been a pastor? Did you have a career before? Yeah. No. Um, so at a, a very early age, it was kind of funny because uh, I f- I found my relationship with with Christ and I became a Christ follower when I was about twelve years old and I was going through this little heartbreak these two girls in my neighborhood remember we didn't have facebook or social media or cell phones yeah to connect with anyone so you you had to be friends with whoever was in the proximity of your house right and these two girls uh that i've been friends with for a long time told me they didn't want to be my friend anymore and that just crushed my little 11 12 year old heart and i had gone home and uh prayed i just started crying in my my pillow and I, i just prayed you know god if you're real and if uh, and if you are who the Bible says you are, then I want you to come into my life. And there wasn't anything um, really transformational in that moment. I didn't float off the bed. Okay. There was no angelic visit. Yeah. Um, but it really was uh, a moment in which, in an emotional crisis, however big that can be for an eleven or twelve year old, is when I sort of found my faith. So I started getting really connected and committed to church, and just fell in love with it. My own youth pastor. Uh, was was uh, extremely helpful in developing my character and helping me be just become a, a better, well-rounded person and and grow in my faith. And so, pretty early on, I I really wanted to be that type of influencer in people's lives. So I started moving towards going to seminary, and I okay. did as soon as I got out of high school. Well, where'd you grow up, by the way? I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Are, and, a card- uh, Cardinal fan? I am a Cardinal fan, okay. and uh, we we've never been able to keep a football team long enough. Right to be. I mean, we had the Rams for a while, yeah. but we were happy to give them back to California. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm a Cardinals fan, and they they almost made it to the to the World Series this yeah, year. Exactly. So, so you were you were starting to head in that direction. Um, did you have anything else that you were interested in? in yeah, I mean, marginally yeah. and 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 sporadically. I wanted to be a a vet and uh, maybe a psychologist. I always wanted to do something though that was helpful uh-huh. and help move things towards health. But I really ended up with a, a real deep passion for uh, helping shape faith. Okay. And so uh, I did that in 1992. I graduated from Bible college oh. and took my first youth pastor position, uh, pastoring middle school all the way up through college-age students. Where was that? Uh, that was in South Sacramento. Oh. So and is that what brought you out here? It, what brought me out here was my internship. Okay. Uh, I interned for a really, really big church in uh, Sacramento. And uh, kind of came out because I was following a girl. Uh-huh. And, uh, Wait, and by the way, um, those two girls, when you when you prayed to know if God was there, yeah. did you end up dating either one? 
was the answer there? I didn't. I had a crush on one of them. Oh, okay. Um, I did. I had a deep crush. That was probably more impacting on me okay. than the other girl not wanting to be my <laughs> right, friend. Right, right. Because okay. I lost all hope of ever getting a romantic uh, relationship with this little other 12-year-old girl. So, okay. But so you come out here, internship, but kind of... Yeah, I was, I was chasing a girl out here. Yeah. And uh, what was funny was I in the first week of being here, met who would then become my wife. I uh-huh. met Lisa. Yeah. And it's funny because I tell this story and I say, don't, don't follow my lead on how to, how to get married. But I saw Lisa and I said, I'm going to marry her. Mm. And I had no game plan. And, and no, there wasn't a revelation from God or anything. It was just, I, I don't know. I'm just going to marry that girl, yeah. which was inconvenient because I was now dating this girl I chased out here and, and Lisa had a boyfriend at the time. So I had no game plan, Yeah, but uh, I fell in love with California, mm-hmm. loved the culture, loved the environment of California, love how California did church. And I just loved everything about California. So I went back, finished my senior year and then just drove out here without a job, oh. nowhere to stay. I kind of bummed a bedroom off of friends or slept on their couch and ended up getting a, a youth pastor position in South Sacramento. Was there about 18 months? Lisa and I got married. So how did, did when you went back for your senior year, was the girl still out here, the original she girl? She stayed, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, she was at school with me originally and then came out here. Oh, okay. And so... Um, did you break her heart or did she break your heart? You know, it was complicated because a little of column A and a little column B. Okay. I was, again, don't follow my lead on this, but I was kind of playing, I was hedging my bets. <laughs> And keeping things going with... Does Lisa uh, know this story, by the she way? She does know this story. Okay, and it, right. it probably makes her uh, mad every time she hears it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I uh, Lisa was kind of... We were really into each other, and then she started kind of blowing me off. Yeah. So I got scared. I thought, well, maybe this means less to her than it does to me. So then I started kind of moving back towards this other girl and, and kind of playing both sides of the fence. But at the end of the day... I said, man, I really am in love with this Lisa girl. And okay. I'm, so I moved back out kind of to chase her a little bit and and see if there was any chance of uh, us getting together. And fortunately, it, it did work out. And uh, her and I got married, and I made a massive move for us. I mean, she was youngest of five kids, wanted to really be near her family. And I moved her all the way back to Missouri to this little oh. town called Lebanon. Uh-huh. We time about 5,000 back then. And just really not California culture at all and thousands of miles away from her parents and her siblings. And it was rough, but we were there for four years and fell in love with the community and fell in love with the people. Well, And so and I don't know this. And for people that don't know how that works, how did you find that church? It's funny because a friend of mine interviewed for that church. So it works differently in different denominations. Some denominations, all leadership is appointed by the denomination. I happen to kind of be in one where... It works very much like any other job works where uh, you might hear about it through word of mouth. Back then, we didn't have uh, big internet exposure. Yeah. So you would um, uh, kind of hear about it through district leadership or uh, people who are more connected. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of found out I was I was looking for something new. And uh, this friend of mine had, had interviewed there and it didn't go that direction for them. But I, I kind of said, hey, I was there with my friend. I'm interested in, in coming there. So they brought us out and interviewed us. And, wow. and uh, it was it was a good fit for us. And we, a huge growing experience. But we moved all around over, I, I was in youth ministry for about 18, 19 years. Wow. And uh, went from there to Orlando, Florida, from Orlando, Florida, back to Fair Oaks, California, wow. from Fair Oaks, California to Surprise, Arizona, and then from Surprise, Arizona, back here to California. And uh, we'd been here at, 
sung at church for 13 years, uh, 10 of those being as the lead pastor. Okay. And what was the, what was the large, I mean, was the one in Florida? Did you have a really large? Yeah, church? that's a church of about six or 7,000. And then the one in Arizona is also about 6,000. So you were youth minister there? Yeah. In, um, in Florida, I was the uh, junior high uh, pastor, so associate youth ministry pastor. And uh-huh. then in Arizona, I was the lead youth pastor. Okay. So how many youth would you work with in Arizona, for example? Arizona, uh, when I took over, there was just a little over 100. So that was one of the things was they were bringing in new leadership to kind of help grow the youth okay. ministry. And by the time I left, it was closer to about 300. I was only there a year. Okay. And in Florida, that was a much different thing. They uh, Currently, they run over 1,500, almost 2,000 between wow. middle school and high school, or middle school and college. And they have, you know, like 15 full-time staff wow. on their youth ministry. They have a 1,500-seat sanctuary uh, they've got a Starbucks in there, a hamburger shop, an ice cream shop. So it's almost like a church within a it, yeah. within a church. They're really super successful at reaching their reaching their community. When do you feel like um, youth pastor is that a full? I mean, not just a full time job, but is that a around the clock, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week kind of job? Yeah, if you're if you're not doing it right, it uh-huh. can be that. Okay. I, I mean, that's one of the journeys I had to go on was learning boundaries gotcha. because, yeah. and you know this more yeah. than anybody, when you're sort of in a, a position to help people, yeah. you don't feel like help is uh, confined it's hard. to nine to five. It really you, is. You just go, if somebody needs me at yeah. seven o'clock at night, I need to be available. Yeah. And uh, I started reminding myself that number one, it didn't happen overnight. Whatever crisis right. they're in didn't happen overnight, especially marriage situations. You know, it took 15 years to kind of blow up their marriage. Yeah. And then when they finally decide, then all of a sudden they feel a sense of urgency and they right. kind of project that urgency onto you. Yeah, you need to get me in now. Yeah, get we're me ready. In. Yeah, so we're, 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 we're finally ready. ready. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After putting it off for seven years, of, yeah. uh, we're finally ready. And I had to just sort of learn how to um, do that. But honestly, um, in youth ministry, there's rhythms uh, teenagers love to hang out and we would have yeah. a house full of teenagers till 10, 11, midnight. Sometimes Lisa and I'd go to bed and we'd just say, lock the door because yeah. they never wanted to leave. And yeah. We were surrogate parents for a lot of right. them and, and just sort of substitute parents. And so they loved being loved on and they loved being appreciated and valued. And so they never wanted to leave. Mm. And uh, we had to we had to move some of the <laughs> for for the sake of our own family had to yeah, yeah had to learn to set some of those boundaries. So let's go to uh, fast forward to summit because this is the thing where I think I was worried that we could talk all night. Yeah, right. Yeah. So so you you get to Lincoln right, and then you begin summit. You said for ten years as a lead pastor, ten and then three as youth pastor. Oh, okay. That. So that was four. What's that journey been like? You know. I feel like the youth ministry part, those three years went really well for me because it was like I could do it with my hands behind my back and blindfolded yeah. because I was it was at the end of that spectrum where I had been doing it I had succeeded so yeah. in youth ministry and so I felt like I could just keep doing that on autopilot. But that was the problem was I was on autopilot. I didn't have a real I, what I use the word I didn't have a grace for it anymore. Okay. I loved the students but didn't love the youth ministry side of it because um, I was older. I, I didn't have the energy or the the um, enthusiasm to do all-nighters and to have oh, right. kids in our home till midnight. And I, I'd kind of moved on into raising my own kids. And, sure. um, and so we were about to transition and the lead pastor um, 
in this particular denomination we were in, the lead pastor was going to recommend me to be appointed uh, as the lead pastor of that church. And, and he did that in their transition. He appointed me or they appointed me and I took over. Uh, interestingly, I prayed that God would protect me from the position if it wasn't for me, mm-hmm. because I knew what certain levels of leadership could do in your life. It yeah. could be as destructive as anything else. And uh, my first year was brutal. It was really unhealthy for me. I was trying to do a lot of problem solving in my own power, my own strength. I felt very scrutinized and judged. And that was a a lot of that I made up in my head. I felt like a denomination was watching me very closely. I felt like my own church was. I felt like um, maybe even thought like maybe Lisa was. Uh And just, you know, wanting to be a good dad. My kids were. My staff, I had a staff working for me now. And so it was a rough, really rough first year. And I used to go to these gatherings with other pastors and they'd say, how's it going? And I'd say, oh, terrible. I said, I'm, I'm going to quit probably within the next six months. Wow. And they'd go, and that's not typical. You don't usually get that vulnerable right, with people. Right. You don't know yeah. And I said, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and turn this back over to somebody else. And I'm going to move on. And they were all really shocked and surprised because, um, you know, numerically, we um, tend to be one of the larger churches in Lincoln. So it has the markings of looking like it's successful okay. from the outside. Yeah. And here I was, I felt like I was falling apart and I was going to just lose control of the whole thing. Well, we talked before even off mic about imposter syndrome. I mean, do you feel like that was kicking in big time? There? A- absolutely. Okay. I, I felt like the position was far bigger than me. I felt like Either God had chosen wrongly or I had missed him and just didn't hear correctly. And I let my ego get in the way. Um, There was a lot of, I didn't, I felt no peace and no sense of confidence. And so uh, I remember somebody coming up to me after a service and they said, uh, Hey, I don't know what you're doing up there, um, but it's not you and it's making us very uncomfortable. Wow. And I said, I'm not sure what you mean. And they said, so God picked you for this position and you haven't showed up since then. And I was like, it could have been very insulting to me, but it was this great sense of real. Oh, it was a great sense of relief for me that they saw it. And, um, I had been kind of hiding that and maybe uh, being in denial a little bit that I was pretending. I felt like I was trying to be the former pastor because I thought he was successful. He was loved. Yeah. So I'm going to just keep doing him. And maybe they'll all keep loving me the same way. Yeah. And it just made everybody feel super awkward. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I kind of started getting comfortable in my skin and accepting that I was in the position I was supposed to be, we started seeing a transition happen. The church started settling into their new identity and new leadership. Okay. And uh, it's been hard. I won't say it hasn't been hard transitioning uh, a church from uh, the founding pastor for 14 years to new leadership is always difficult. But we feel super called to these people, and we yeah. feel super committed and connected well, to them. Well, you can feel that in your congregation. I, and I want to say, so you're talking about being authentic, and I know that's a buzzword, especially right. in my world. Yeah. But I feel like that you just nailed what that's like to not be authentic. And and yeah. it's with good reason you thought you were doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was recording my pornography recovery program, I remember... Uh, there was a person there that he had, he has his own program and it's very successful. And he was telling me, Hey, here's how you need to deliver it. Here's, here's what you need to do. Love the guy. Right. But the first four or five modules, I was, I was talking like him. I was mm. pausing like him. And I just thought at some point I thought, no, I gotta be me. Yep. And and I can't to this day 
I can't go watch any of that first part <laughs> because it is not me. Yeah, it's you know? cringeworthy it to is. look back on it. Yeah, yeah, because you you like you said you see the imposter sitting there, yes. and uh, but well, but you also lack the. Sometimes we're not comfortable in our own skin, and you go, uh, "I like the way you look doing it better than the, the way yeah, I look yeah. doing it." So I'm going to try and I'm going to try and be you. And that was me. I had never led a church before. I had led a lot of ministry successfully, felt confident in all my skills and giftings. But man, when you put them in the new context of leading a whole church, yeah, I just crumbled under it. But man, you have to find, I know this is, I mean, I worry so much about all the cliches I can say, yeah. but you have to find your voice. You have to find your, um, your identity. And, right. and I even feel like imposter syndrome hits me every week with my podcast even. And I feel like I will hear regularly, hey, you talk real fast or, and sometimes I think, oh man, you know, right. I shouldn't, but if I start slowing things down, I'm not <laughs> going, I mean, already I'm in my head. Yeah. So yeah. it's okay. And, and not every, and I feel bad even when I'll say, you know, maybe I'm not for everybody. Right. And, uh, well, it's like a golf swing. I've, I've just taken up golf again and I'm terrible at it. And so when you're terrible at it, you tend to seek out yes. opinions on yes. how do I get better? And so I got a friend, a mutual friend of ours that I play with a lot. Oh, if I know who it is, he's very good. He is very yeah, good. He's, he's, very good. A, he's pretty much a scratch yeah. golfer. Uh, but the, the thing I love about him is he won't, he won't say anything to me unless I ask him. Okay. And then when I ask him, he'll, he'll tell me something. And then all of a sudden my swing gets worse. Okay. And he'll say, okay, stop thinking about what I just... Do yeah. a little bit of what I said and then stop thinking about it and get back into... Because I start... I start just getting up inside my head and I go, oh, wait, your hips are in the wrong position. Now your club face is in the, and I try to improve instantaneously Yes. instead of just introducing a little incremental change. And I kind of felt that way when I first started in that position was I wanted to be instantly successful, whatever that means. Loved and adored by all. Absolutely. Touching and affecting people's lives. And people were, people were rejecting me. Now they said, it's not you. Right. It's not you that we're leaving. It's not you're not the reason we're leaving. And I go, of course, because when the other pastor was here, you were still here, yeah. <laughs> and now you're leaving. Yeah, so like that is me. Um, and so I was facing rejection on a level that I hadn't before. And um, I think one of the things that I've uh, come to appreciate is that when, because of my leadership, moving people on, whether voluntarily or like uh, whether I'm meant to do it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a good thing for them and me. Yeah. I don't want people there who resist being led. Yeah. And I, I don't want them to be stalled in their own growth. Yeah. So it's good for them to move on. And it's good for our environment to not have people that are kind of digging their heels in. And our church has taken on a completely different personality. We're a younger church now mm-hmm. than we were 10 years ago. And uh, we have a lot of people who are there just exploring faith. Okay. And I'm not saying the other way was the wrong way. This is just a different t- a culture and environment. And so we have a lot of people very young in their faith and exploring their faith and getting started in faith. And that was a big shift because the other pastor was a great discipler and great at taking people deeper in their relationship with God. And I feel like I'm good at getting them on the front porch and in sure. the front door. Okay. And yeah. so it's taken on a, and I'm, I'm okay with that now. Yeah. Well, and I, and for I like years that. I've struggled, but I'm not. And, that, and that's a nice segue into what we're talking about today, because I do feel like you're tackling topics immediately and you're not really afraid of, okay, this isn't what we normally talk about at church. Right. Do you hear negative feedback about that at times or not? It, 
Is that- I, I always I always tell my church that they're well behaved because they they're either uh, talking quietly about their complaints, okay, or they're just not complaining. Yeah, and either way, I'm happy with that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I don't hear a ton. I don't hear a ton of complaints about any of that. As a matter of fact, I hear because of where people are at in their journey of faith. Uh, they're young in it, and so their lives are very topical. Mm-hmm. They're very driven by marriage and difficulties and finances. Yeah. And so to walk in and them go, I wow, you mean there's something in Scripture that can help me walk through this? There's something outside of my own ability or power? There's something that, uh, you know, because people, people kind of go all over for answers. They mm-hmm. watch a lot of TV. They go on to, uh, I, I told you recently that I bought a little fishing boat. Yes. And I'm trying to work on it myself because it can be expensive. Yeah. And I'm noticing there's a ton of people out there who have videos on how to work on the engine. And I'm also noticing there's a lot of people who are unqualified to teach you how to work on an engine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I run into that as, as a therapist. I sure. mean, bless people's hearts, but I will listen to podcasts where people are just given some nice pop psychology advice yes. and, uh, and, and not realizing, again, I say bless their hearts, but if somebody is turning to that person for an answer and the answer is not necessarily going to strengthen them or their marriage or their right. parenting style, that can, that can be a bad thing. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, I think in the same way we sort of get our medical information from WebMD or yeah. we, we, we can Google. Dr. I'll, Google, I hear it Yeah, often. absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we give ourselves a degree in, mm-hmm. in medicine and psychology oh, I, yes. because information is so accessible to yeah. us. But the problem is very little of that's vetted and, um, and a lot of it's conflicting. Well, then there's a, the confirmation bias alone. I love when somebody comes into me and says, am I borderline personality disorder? Right. And, and I'm like, well, if you're asking, first of all, probably not, right. you know, or, um, <laughs> but, but they, they Googled and there's some of these symptoms, and, yeah. but then you can make those symptoms work. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So the, the, the topic of mental health, what led you to that you and I saw you at a football game mm-hmm. and then you came over and, and it, I know I was so grateful that you just, yeah. there had been a lot going on in the world, in the faith community, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So about a year ago in August of 18, um, a young pastor, he's about 30 years old and he was, uh, again, by sort of standards that we sometimes use even in the church world for success, large congregation, influential, um, kind of a rising star, very, um, very young to have that level of success. Mm. And he ends up taking his life at, I think he was about 30 years old. Wow. And then almost a year later, September 9th, um, September 9th of this year, a uh, pastor named Jared Wilson, who um, had pastored his own church um, had been an associate pastor at a very, very well-known church in Southern California, very large church, and had actually in 2016 started his own uh, ministry to sort of help people in the faith community uh, kind of lift them up who had been struggling with depression and suicidal okay. thoughts. So he was very vocal, very open about his own uh, battle with depression and battle with suicidal thinking. He took his life, and it really shook the faith community. And it struck a nerve with me because I thought, uh, if I'm if I'm paying attention to it, and I'm seeing these articles, and I'm watching the news story, then all the people that I'm leading are also encountering those same things, and right. it's probably striking a nerve with them yeah. as well. And I started thinking, you know, um, probably one of the most... Um, 
isolating and alienating seasons of your life was when you were experiencing emotional unhealthiness and pain and crisis and felt like you couldn't turn to anyone. Right. And uh, you might be the right person to lead these people in a conversation about faith and how it connects and relates to mental health. And we usually um, always believe that faith and mental health um, are going to be synonymous with mental happiness right. and emotional joy. And that if you are a person of faith, then you are always feeling good. And so a lot of people carry around a ton of guilt yes. because they're a person of faith and still struggle emotionally. So then they feel like either, I mean, I've heard every version of that story, their brain tries to tell them of that they must be bad, that God maybe has abandoned them, or, um, you know, what's wrong with them because they keep trying to pray or read scripture or be yeah. involved, and then they, they aren't happy. So something must be wrong with them. Well, and, and back in the day, and, and thankfully the, the, the culture in church is moving, but back in the day, if you were sick, Physically, you had cancer or the flu or uh, a herniated disc, any physical ailment. Nobody thought twice about you going to a doctor, getting medical help, taking medicine, getting physical therapy, wearing a cast, whatever it was. But if you had a mental or emotional mm -hmm. illness, and I'm using that in a really right. general wide term, if you had a mental illness, you just needed to pray more. You needed yeah. to believe God more. You needed to. And so people felt really trapped. They didn't feel like they could go to anyone for help. So marriages continued to suffer and people began to fall apart emotionally because they their faith was telling them, their church culture was telling them. Just pray. Just pray. You're just not um, you're not believing hard enough. Yeah. And God God can heal you of this. And it was really a terrible double standard. So I'm glad the culture's shifting, but I don't think it's there yet. Oh, no. I mean, and, and you're right. It is shifting. I'm grateful for that as well. But I, I routinely, I do a lot of Christian counseling. And I, I can't tell you how many times people come in and I feel like uh, they're just waiting for me to tell them, you know, yeah. have you have you thought about praying more? Right. Or have you thought about reading more scripture? Or here's a, a, a talk from a church leader. Yeah. And they that's the problem is they've been doing those things. Yep. And if they aren't working again, they go back to the what's wrong with me story. Absolutely. Yeah. You're just not good enough at right. believing God for the right things. Right. And then the, the part that breaks my heart almost the most is then when they start to feel like, well, then God must have abandoned me or mm -hmm. God doesn't love me. And where I'm it's it's the exact opposite. Right. I, I guarantee you that. Yeah, because yeah. people have even interpreted sickness as a, yes. a, 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 a punishment from God, as a consequence of their sin. Yep. And uh, I, I think we're, we're broken as people yeah. emotionally, physically, spiritually, because sin is a contaminant since the beginning that has infiltrated it. But I absolutely don't believe that God imposes sickness mm -hmm mental or physical on people as a as a, a payback as a, a hammer over the head for your and so people do feel distanced from god and um isolated from their own faith community yeah. because if the conversation's not happening from i'll use the old term the pulpit yes then it can't happen in the pew right and two two very old churchy terms <laughs> but if if people if you don't give them permission publicly to talk about mental health and emotional health on, on a very open, candid, and I, I even try, um, I was talking to one of my staff today, and uh, she, she was wanting to um, really grow in her communication skills, and I said, if you'll take note of what I do, I said, I'm, I'm routinely self-effacing, I'm mm -hmm. routinely joking about myself, and trying to expose my humanity 
to people because I said nothing helps us connect with people more than I struggle too. Absolutely. And so I joke about me getting speeding tickets or I joke about me kind of losing my cool at the bank because, you know, they gave me the wrong change or I try to really help them understand that every single one of us, because um, one of the big problems with faith leaders and, and church leadership is we feel like if we tell people we struggle, People won't follow us anymore. People won't listen to what we have to say anymore. I found in my story that the more I do that, the more I get people who say, thank you for being real. Thank you for letting me know you struggle too. It helps me feel okay in my struggle. Not not permission to keep struggling, but it helps me understand. You're you're relatable. Then you have empathy. I mean, I I go back to, and we've been wanting to have uh, a podcast episode for a long time. We were going to come on and talk about ADD back in the day, right? right? And I mean, that alone, what I did a two part series on my ADD and uh, that I've got, I've received more feedback from that than any episodes really? other than with the sex therapist. But right. other than that one, I mean, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's true. It's a true story. That's always a good one. I know, right? The PG-13. Um, exactly, totally. But, yeah. uh, and, and I mean, that to sound like it was a bit of me. It's true. Right. She's a wonderful person. Sure. But, but that, those two episodes and it was people feeling like, okay, I was being vulnerable. Now I sure I received some feedback of saying, oh, you you talked about medication too much or you did whatever. And, and I, it, but it goes back to that being authentic right. of, well, I'm, I feel better talking about authentically and this is who I am. And so if somebody does have a challenge with that, bless their heart, yeah. you know, they can, there's like 780,000 podcasts, you know, <laughs> and they can move on to the yeah. one that talks about the things they like to hear. Exactly. Which is wonderful. Yeah. I call, um, sometimes if I have a difficult conversation with our congregation, and there's somebody in there who sort of rejects that or doesn't like, you know, we're pretty casual yeah. church too. So I would, I would say there's a funny story. Go, go find the YouTube video of our message on Sunday. Yeah. And, uh, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I dress, I dress down because even in that, I want to communicate. We want you to come in, which I love that. And you even, you and you've made jokes about it even. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, yeah. So I had this years ago, I had this lady that would, uh, bring her mother mm. and her mother was very traditional and her mom would sit in the front row and just scowl at me. I mean, scowl every, I would tell a joke or I'd say something funny and everybody would be laughing. And this lady would have her arms folded and she would scowl. And so I asked this, the daughter, I said, uh, Hey, you're, I don't think your mom likes me. And she says, well, she doesn't like that you wear jeans and don't wear a tie mm. and that you joke too much. And she had a whole list. Yeah. And so I know the mom had been communicating with her a lot. But when I say, and then sometimes Lisa, my wife, I was telling this before uh, we started doing this tonight. Uh, sometimes Lisa will tell me, honey, I don't, I don't know if I would tell that joke again. <laughs> um, but I say, I call those herd thinning moments. Okay. Sometimes it's okay to, to, to thin the herd. Sometimes if people are coming for a reason and uh, the reason maybe isn't balanced and healthy and, and their objective in being a part of that faith community, then maybe it's time for them to kind of move on. Cause I, I really want it to be, I don't want our community of people feeling like they have to do the imposter thing. Right. I want them coming. I have a lot of people who will be talking and they'll say, uh, they call me PC, Pastor Chris. Yeah. They'll say, PC, I'll tell you, uh, I had a, Blankety blank wheat. And they'll just, you know, they kind of lay out the profanity. And I'm always a little bit taken back, but always a little bit grateful yeah. that they feel that level of uh, familiarity and, and safety with yeah. me that in their struggle, you know, I'd like to see them work that out of their conversations. Sure. Yeah. But but also I think this this is who this is who we're called to serve and connect with, is people that are right in the middle of it. 
And when they're describing their week, that's the word they thought of. And um, if they were in a kind of a more pious, formal environment, they might have a real difficult time feeling that level of authenticity. So so many thoughts with that. Uh, One is that it does go to the people need to be heard in order to even heal or move forward or change. Or so the person, if you come in and just say, Hey, I'd prefer you not use that language. Person feels immediate judgment. You know, now they're going to be a bit defensive and, and that's not the community that you're trying to build. And and judged, which is the stereotypical persona of church people to begin with. They're a bunch of judgmental condemning. We've really tried to lift that, that stigma. Yeah. And just through simple, small things like that, just being human to people. Yeah. You know? No, that, that I, I feel like uh, I'm still, I mean, I've got a huge message when I'm dealing, I deal a lot with pornography addiction, compulsive right. sexual behavior. And my, my, one of my biggest things I love to preach is taking the shame out of that Yeah, because that shame, and, but there are still are religious leaders that I run into that say, no, they need to feel bad. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, guess what? They've been feeling bad for a long time and that hasn't worked. How's, how's that been working right, for them? Right. Yeah. So they need to feel strength positive. They need, you know, something to kind of, um, work from a, a place of strength. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to say something to you since we kind of were talking about suicide. One of the things that I really appreciated when I saw you at the football game and you had asked me if I would be interested in coming on and I couldn't wait. And, uh, you wanted to tackle a topic like suicide right? because there's that, um, it's, uh, what, what am I saying? It's pop psychology. It's not a real message where you say that if you talk about suicide, it increases suicide. Right. Like and you're planting a thought absolutely. with them. Like they had never considered it. You yeah. bring it up and all of a sudden they've got a new idea. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know I could kill myself. Right. I mean, if somebody has done that, they've been thinking about that for a long, long time. Absolutely. They have. Uh, and, and you know what, actually, maybe this will be a nice, uh, tease is the right word, but I think I even didn't finish when I was talking about the word episode at the beginning of this episode, but after our conversation, I'm going to run the message that we did on Sunday. And I I go a lot deeper into a couple of stories of people that have survived suicide. And as well as there's some amazing, I will read this one. There's an article called where are they now? The fate of suicide attempt survivors. And, uh, this one was one in particular, 515 people who had intended to jump from the golden gate bridge who were stopped. Only 7% went on to actually kill themselves at some point later in life. And so, it, you know, it's this testament to the fact that suicidal crisis is very often uh, temporary. It's, yeah. You know, it's a temporary thing. And uh, and if that is, you know, if somebody just says, okay, well, maybe that's I don't know, San Francisco or whatever mm-hmm. it is, there's 177 other studies worldwide uh, that a couple of doctors had done a review on and found those same findings. Right. So it's not only, um, you know, we need to be educated about talking about it, and it not only isn't it makes it less of a th- of an issue. Well, and again, uh, <clears throat> in the faith community, you can almost talk about depression or mental health as long as you don't cross the line and begin to talk about suicide, because suicide is really uh, has some has some we'll we'll call them eternal implications. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. Well, some people think they know what to do with suicide. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody who's a person of faith and uh, in, in my context, a follower of Christ, if they commit suicide, we don't know what to do with them eternally. And so I've not only attended a lot of those funerals where somebody's taken their life, um, but a few years back, and I think we talked about yeah. this and you yeah. knew this person, yeah. um, a person in our community and, and actually attended our church had committed suicide, and I was personally really shook up by it, mm. and I was asked to do the funeral, and it was really, it was incredibly difficult for me, because I know that people came expecting me 
to rule, to, to yeah, judge, to, 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 to yeah. resolve that for yeah. them, yeah. to to put this person in a place in eternity so that they can all walk out feeling away. Mm-hmm. And some people want me or any other uh, 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 church leader, um, person of faith, to sort of assign them to the, their eternal destination. They're either in heaven or hell. And they want that because, again, the confirmation bias, it, it goes, good, you believe what I believe. Because yeah. um, if we put them in hell, maybe everybody will be afraid enough that they won't right. do it. And if we put them in heaven, we all get to feel okay. And um, sometimes people who are struggling with that want to hear that it all works out in the end. Yeah. And so it's a really messy thing for a pastor, a church leader, to try to address that. And so um, I had to walk a really, and I don't even know that I did it that well. Um, one thing I do know was she was a person of genuine faith. I used to sit down with her frequently, and she'd struggle emotionally and struggle spiritually and really wanted to know she was right with God. So I never for one minute doubted her authenticity, right. her faith, her zealousness for Christ, any of that. She was so passionate about wanting to please God with her life. And I never for a moment doubted the trueness of her struggle with depression. Yeah, I mean, a real struggle with depression. For me, it was the first time I think I had encountered somebody who was equally full of faith and equally full of pain and hurt and couldn't match those two worlds and couldn't make one impact the other to the degree the faith didn't save her from the suicide. Right. Yeah. Couldn't just pray it away. No. And so that's one of the reasons I think so many people have a difficult time is uh, we would rather not talk about it because we don't want to give anyone the impression Hey, you know what? Go ahead because it ends all pain and you get to be with Jesus. Mm. And we don't want to sort of preach someone into hell because we're, we really don't have any certainty that that's what happens either. And so it's a really messy thing. Yeah. And um, I guess I'd rather come from the perspective of how about we just help people never get there? Mm. How about we really work hard to open communication and love on each other and connect with each other and figure out ways to put up the guardrails that just keep us all right. from... I mean, like that uh, article, 515 people stopped, only 7% go on. Yep. I mean, that's, that's uh, phenomenal numbers. I do have to say, as a therapist, you know, take the, not as a, not a pastor or right. anything, um, I feel like one of the biggest epiphanies I've had over 15 years of counseling now is just that concept of how those, those everyone's kind of private experiences are. All right. of their nature, nurture, DNA, abandonment, rejection, all of those things that that I call it, it lowers their emotional baseline. And so when, and I've worked with a lot of people that have been suicidal, they yeah. get, get into really dark places. And when I have been in a room with somebody like that, I mean, that's the stuff that is just so uh, talk about breaking my heart, my empathy meter you know, on overload, sometimes not knowing what to do. Right. And, and it's because when you see somebody there, I know that they are not making decisions that they would make when the sun is shining and when, um, things are going better in their life. Right. And so, so for me personally, I feel like that's, that's almost like the epitome of showing how bad depression or, you know, these things can be in someone's life to put them in a spot where that does feel like the, the option. Yeah. I always, I, I say this and it's terrible grammar, but it helps communicate the point. I always say sick people think sickly. Yeah. So, uh, Lisa, my wife just had terrible sickness. We don't even know what it was. Uh, bacterial infection mm-hmm. is what the doctor said, but she was, so sick. I'd never seen her this sick in 26 years. And she couldn't 
carry on a conversation. She couldn't engage with the kids. She couldn't eat. She couldn't drink. She couldn't take any more medication. And she was, everything about her was impacted by her sickness. And we're empathetic and sympathetic when we see that in somebody who's physically sick. Right. Right. Then somebody experiences that same level of sickness mentally and emotionally. And somehow, because we don't personally identify with that, it's hard to be empathetic or sympathetic. And I'm including myself in the, in the, in the wheeze of how people typically react. It's, Man, you just need to get out and right. and go for a run or go. And they're in a spot where that doesn't make oh, any couldn't, sense. Couldn't do they it. Couldn't they, even no. imagine. No. no, they just need to be heard. They need to be acknowledged. They need to know that you care about them. Um, point them to help. Point them to community. Point them to family. But just you know, hear them. Yep. Yeah. And 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 I never, I never grew tired of Lisa being sick to the degree that I went. You know what? You got to stop. Right. But for good grief, Lisa, it's been seven days. I mean, how long are you right. gonna? How long are you gonna do this? I can't keep cleaning up everything around the house. I can't keep taking care of you. We, we I just kept pointing her to, honey, it's going to get better, and we're going to keep doing whatever we. T-. And it did. It kept getting worse. And finally, I just said, you know what? You need to go to the ER. Mm. And we got her some medical help, and you know, she was dehydrated, and they flooded her with antibiotics and. They gave her all the right things, and it kick-started yeah. her recovery. And days later, she was much better. And I think people struggling, especially at the level where suicide becomes a viable option, yeah. they do need someone who doesn't abandon them, who yep. stays close to them, who says, we're going to keep doing whatever it takes. Yeah. It's what I said at, at this lady's funeral. I said, I'm mad, and I used her name. I said, I'm mad at her because she didn't let me she didn't invite me in to fight harder yeah. with her. Yeah. I'm mad at her because she had so many people around her that would have continued to fight with her and continued to st- stick by her side and loved her and, and wouldn't have given up on her. And, and I, I felt that, and I still do feel like that, that when people reach that place, boy, they've just got to feel like there's enough support around them that no matter how long they hang, have to hang out in this space, somebody's going to stay with them until they get the help that they Absolutely. need. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you're right. And a lot of times people haven't necessarily taken medication or they, they feel like they aren't worth reaching out to somebody. Or, you know, I've worked with a, a handful of teenagers that get to that point. And that's the part where I say, hey, this is, we are, we need to talk to your parents. I mean, yeah. your, your parents would rather, you know, yeah, have you go to Disneyland every day and, and pay you a, an allowance mm-hmm. and give you a monster truck, then, and I'm not trying to say they should use that for manipulation, right, right. but but then, I mean, right now, it, they want to hear anything that you have to say, because yeah. the last thing they want to do is feel like, why didn't he reach out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, I mean, you've been around here long enough that in our community, Lincoln, there was like a rash yeah. of teenage suicides, yeah. and it really became startling, and um, I think that it helped uh, maybe alert parents mm-hmm to how easy it is for a student, and I, I think this is the same truth for adults, how easy it is for somebody to put on, uh, because uh, this Jared Wilson, who, who the pastor uh, earlier this year took his own life, he had just posted on Twitter um, kind of an inspiring mm. thing about, I mean, just that day said, you know, Jesus doesn't abandon, he always gives hope, and he doesn't he doesn't leave us behind, and and uh, he, there was a video of him posted playing with his kids that wow. very day. 
you wouldn't on the outside ever uh, speculate right. that he was in that crisis. And I would have to assume, and I'm only speculating now, but I would have to assume that he had already planned that out and he sure. was already, but he was, it was, he was closing up things in his life and, and kind of putting on that persona for everyone around him. And it's, it's tough. I think, I think it's a wake up call that we've got to push harder yeah. and ask uncomfortable questions, Absolutely. have uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Cause yeah. I would rather have those than not. I would rather have my child say, dad, like that, are you serious? Right. You know, then yeah, well, they're great. You know, yep. good talk yeah. rather, rather than <laughs> not talk. at all. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I did pull up on, uh, the, uh, there's, uh, the American foundation for suicide prevention mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, maybe said that I would encourage people to go there, uh, AFSP.org and, um, you know, warning signs. I mean, there are of course people talking about killing themselves, but I do say the therapist in me always says during an assessment, you ask, Hey, have you ever had any suicidal thoughts? Right. And if somebody says no, I, I feel like, okay, no, I mean, we all kind of do at times. It's sure. okay. It's the, do you have a suicidal ideation? Do you have a plan? Do you have a, you know, that's when we right. want to take more, um, be a little more aware, but, but people that talk about feeling hopeless, um, you know, people that really one that I hear often is people that feel like they're a burden to others. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a big warning sign feeling trapped or, um, you know, and there are uh, sleeping too much, sleeping too little. Um, this is one that I, I found kind of interesting the giving away prized possessions. I mean, I have, I, that was a sign with someone that I was working with right. and I did kind of bring some awareness to it. I mean, they were, they were giving away a lot of things, but, and a big one too, is just that withdrawal, withdrawal from activities. And, and, and I feel like that's the one where it's literally a kind of a plea for help because it's people saying continually saying, I don't think so, or I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's one of those things where we talked about this in the, in the message of, if you think about someone, if you recognize you haven't seen somebody around for a while and you, and you think about, I don't know, I wonder where they're up to. I wonder what mm-hmm. they're up to. Where are they? Reach out. Yeah. Right. Use that as a prompting from the Holy Spirit. And, and just because people want to hear. Yeah. And uh, there was one time, I mean, just one time in my life. And this is what made all of this far easier for me to engage in. And this was about 13 years ago. And I was in a season of transition. We mm-hmm. left Arizona. And I came back and I wasn't certain about whether I wanted to be in ministry anymore. I was in a real, so I felt like I was losing my identity as a, as a leader. Uh, I could not land a job to save my life. I mean, I applied at a, at a bank mm-hmm. making, I mean, the 18 year old high school seniors get jobs at banks all the time with zero skill yeah. and undeveloped or underdeveloped uh, interpersonal skills. And here I was, somebody who was a professional communicator. I could not land a job at a bank. I couldn't land a job at this radio station uh, nearby watching a screen for 825 an hour. And I was, I literally thought, you are, you're used up. There's nothing you are valuable enough to do. And uh, I had gone months without working and I laid in bed and I didn't feel like I had any motivation or reason to get out of bed. Yeah. I didn't feel like my family could see value in me because if, if I couldn't be a providing right. husband yeah. and a, a supportive father, I had to say no to my kids, anything they wanted. I, could, I had to say no. I, we couldn't go on vacation. We'd always been able to go on vacation. And I got to the point where what was previously an absurd thought, yeah, the idea of me not being here anymore. Now I thought, what are you here for? Mm. Like if you, there's, you've run out of things that you're good for. 
And I, I really got inside that headspace. And I don't think I came to the point where there was a plan or right. I just, the idea being introduced to me yeah. was no longer absurd. It sort of made sense. Yeah. And I thought, boy, if you just had more life insurance, and I started having those mm-hmm. kind of thoughts. Thankfully, I did have people in my life who were able to plant thoughts into me like, I know this is crushing and smothering right now. I have to tell you, I've been there, and I promise you, you have to believe me, it does get better. This won't be your story six months from now. And because they were people I trusted, and because they were people I uh, believed had been to that level of disparity, I believed that enough that I had something to hold on to. And that's why I'm convinced that being a part of a faith community, getting into connected relationships, intimate relationships that allow you that level of vulnerability. So I was, I was reading a, um, a study, and this is really hard to pin down. I was kind of surprised by how little statistical information there is about this. But there seems to be every indication. Uh, it was a university, and I can um, maybe give that for you if you want to add it in later. Yeah. But um, it, it, it seemed uh, like it had been vetted as a credible source that with the exception of Eastern Asia, religion, being a part of a religious community, reduces the risk of suicide mm. because there is interpersonal connection and there's the level of encouragement and level of, uh, and I mean this in the best way, accountability sure. and connectedness that... Uh, you don't experience outside of the community, and because of Eastern uh, Eastern Asian religions tend to be very individualistic, yeah. and you tend to only engage when you need something, and it's a very uh, you know I need to do well on a test, I need a car, I need a job. Um, you're not connecting in relationships. That's not how Eastern religion typically works. But uh, Latin America, they cited in America that. Um, that because of the way we do church together, there seems to be correlation between a re- reduced amount of suicide within those sure. contexts. Actually, it increases in Asia because they don't engage in religion until they are in the middle of crisis mm. versus in Latin America and North America, you're already there. And then when you begin crisis, you have this network of relationships. Right. And I, and I, and I actually, I have, uh, I have, I'm familiar with that. Uh, the couple of, there's a couple of good studies on that. And cause it, it not only is the, this is where I always go with that too. There's the accountability, the community, the connection, but also the service aspect as well. Yeah. And I feel like that from a, you know, somebody's sick in your congregation, you're taking the meals, you're checking on them, that right. sort of thing. And I feel like it also provides a framework for if you are feeling down. I mean, I often tell people if there's anything you can do, it's, it's go serve someone else. Just get right. outside of yourself. Yep. And, and I think that that, yeah. So that's a, and it affirms, that, it affirms your value that yeah. you've got the potential and capacity to do something good. You know, in that headspace, I didn't want to help anyone because I right. thought I didn't have the worth to do it. Had I been put in that position or taken somebody up on an offer to, to be because at that time I did have church leadership reaching out to me. Oh, you did? Yeah, saying, hey, would you help lead up the ushers and would you help do this? And I just thought, no, mm. no, I don't want to do any of that. Because mm. I I, uh, again, I felt hypocritical. I felt like my faith had failed me. Uh, God and I were in the middle of a big wrestling match. Okay. And um, I just didn't know How was that working? Were you doing all right wrestling him? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I tell this story and I'm not sure how appropriate of a story it is. 
but when we first moved back to California, we went and bought uh, two little rat terriers, most mm. adorable little puppies, and they're two girls. And uh, when I would come home, they would both roll over immediately on their back and they would pee a little. Oh. <laughs> and it was their act of submission to yeah, it. Yeah. Like, you're, you're the alpha male. We yeah. recognize you. They weren't scared of me. I never yelled at them. But it was the, we're submitted. Mm. And I talk about that season in my life, how I would stand out on the driveway and shake my fist at God and tell him, you know, when I'm out on the streets and I don't have any money and my family is hungry and we're living in a cardboard box, I'm going to tell everybody it was you. And oh, I was I was really, really angry. And things just kept getting worse until I really felt like I broke. Mm. And I recognized that it wasn't God causing all this, that life happens. Yeah. Sometimes tough circumstances happen. Absolutely. And, and I had walked away from the position in, in Arizona. It's not like I got fired. or yeah. I, So I had made some choices. You know, I, I chose to come back to this area. And I always tell people, um, I feel like I rolled over and, and just peed a little. <laughs> and I, I just said to God, you win. Yeah. You're in charge. I, I, I surrender. I can't fight anymore. And I got to tell you, from that moment on, Increase began to happen, an opportunity began wow. to happen, and I just, I fought as hard as I could fight, and I realized that God just kept his gentle thumb on my chest mm-hmm. and let me throw my tantrum, and then when I said, I, I, I peed a little, <laughs> and I just said, I, I, I surrender, he took his thumb off my chest and went, good, let's, let's get started and rebuilding yeah, the life I've created. That's why at the end of every one of PC's sermons, he pees just a little bit <laughs> up on the stage. It's beautiful. I didn't I know wear, that's what I it wear was. Depend diapers exactly. on stage. <laughs> no, that's a great story. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I know. I appreciate that. Um, I like that's a herd thinning story. When I tell that, oh, yeah, that I'm, was, I'm certain at least one people, uh, one person will leave. The I'm church. already thinking of. Will the title of this episode be "I Peed a Little" by Pastor Chris Young? Right, that could be it. You should. <laughs> um, so there, there, and I wanted to maybe touch on something too. And now I feel like okay, I will probably just. Uh, forget the bonus episode we're gonna we're gonna kind of let people hear the message because there's so much good stuff we talked about there with anxiety and depression and, yeah. and that but i'm so grateful that we spent the time talking about the the reason why you put together this mental health series yeah. of, of, yeah. the, of the a lot of talk about suicide and um but i you said something earlier that i, I always appreciate it's the concept of we all have these thoughts you know we have mm-hmm. we have bad thoughts we have irrational thoughts we have irreverent thoughts um, you know, I always think about when I think about church and that sort of thing, I remember, I don't remember the comedian who it was, but we talk about, you know, even going up in front of a casket and all of a sudden they just start chuckling, you right. know? And, uh, and, but I mean, you just have thoughts come to your head at the most, the craziest of times. Yeah. And so I love talking about this thing called, um, it's inappropriate thought syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I gave the example, and I'm curious if you have one of these as well, but I gave the example at, at your, uh, at your church of, if you get me about five stories up or higher, I will look over a balcony, and we used to stay at Embassy Suites all the time because we were cheap and we right. could fit all four kids into the room and that, it's a free breakfast and yeah. all that. And if I would just look over the balcony, I would immediately think, oh, I could totally jump right now. Right. And just that jelly legs, and it would, my heart rate would raise. Yeah. Now, you know, it's just a thought. I never did. Right. And, and so people, everybody has inappropriate, crazy, irrational thoughts. Yeah. That's the first tenet of inappropriate thought syndrome. The second one is just because you have them doesn't mean that's what you're going to do. Right. That's who you are. Because, I mean, I've heard everything. You know, people sitting there saying, I'm at dinner. I've got a steak knife. You know, my, my wife's next to me. And I just think, man, one pop right here, you know? Yeah. And they're like, is that my bad? Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, I think, you know, it's just... It's the thought. Well, it's funny because I, I love um, like Dateline mysteries yes. and these 
these kind of they're kind of macabre, yeah, uh, uh, dark. Uh, I don't know why I'm attracted to those. Yeah. I love sort of all that. Tell me more. Lay down, Chris. <laughs> Tell me more about this. Uh, hmm. um, and uh, Lisa always says, uh, my wife always says, why do you like these? Mm. And I kind of have this running joke that I say I'm trying to figure out how to get away with it. Okay. And, and it, it, of course, it implies that I'm going to do it I say, to mark the time code on this where it's, uh, okay, this will be used as evidence. Yeah. Hopefully this doesn't show up in a court case later on. Uh, but that's sort of my, yes. like... Uh, Inappropriate thoughts. Yeah, and I'll say, it, I'll say it out loud. I'll go, if that guy had just not told anyone. He could have got... And Lisa's always like, why are you siding with the guy? Right. Why are you and trying to... sleep downstairs. Why are you trying to help yeah. him figure out how to get yeah. away with the crime? It's because yeah. you're, uh, you're, uh, you have a very caring heart. <laughs> but the, So then the third, the last part of inappropriate thought syndrome is, so you've got the everybody has them, just because you have them doesn't mean that you're going to do it. But the, I love the third one is in thought suppression does not work. Right. Right? And we talked about that in your, uh, in your, uh, in the congregation, that if we say to everybody right now, whatever you do, that you're listening to this podcast... Do not think of a furry white polar bear yeah. with a red hat on. Will we make it better? <laughs> don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. Right. And and so what I love about that is that's what we do, though. We think, man, I shouldn't be thinking that. Mm-hmm. And then I always say that then your brain holds up a little sign and it says, what, this? Yep. You know, think about this thing? Yep. And so if it is the, hey, how could I get away with murder? Right. You know, yeah, the only way to really work with that is the, oh, check that out. I'm thinking about how to get yep. away with murder, not the, you know. I, I, I shouldn't be thinking this because yeah. then you're just going to continue to think it. Or the person that struggles with lust and somebody walks past oh, them and they think, absolutely. don't don't think a lustful thought, don't think a lustful right. thought. And then, yeah. of course, their mind goes, oh, you mean like picturing them like this? Exactly, yeah. It's as, it's as if your mind does the exact opposite. Yeah, once. yeah. that's funny. I mean, that's, a, that's a topic I haven't even taken on is uh, but the, like objectifying and that sort of thing. And, and right. I, that is the, the best way around something like that is noted, you know, don't beat myself up and just kind of gently move away from that, that right. thought or that, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um all right, we've probably gone an hour. We've gone an hour, PC. Oh, my god! Isn't that crazy? So I'm going to now play some very uh, happy music, and it's going to just transition right into our, our sermon, uh, your sermon, yeah, your message. And, and again, I'm so grateful you're here. I want to come back and do an ADD episode, awesome. right? Okay, I'd that'd be fun. Yeah. And, uh, if I can give you my attention that long, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But, but, and I just, I'm, I'm grateful that I, people haven't heard the episodes we did before. And this is the thing where I don't ever know what the episode numbers are, but I would please just go back and look. We did one on marriage and we did one on parenting. Yeah. And going back into really that, I, I love the fact that you will tackle those subjects from the pulpit. And, uh, and I've heard more positive feedback from those episodes. Than, than almost any on those two topics. And I just have to tell you what I love about it. And I told you this before. So I want, it's on the microphone. Yeah. So that after they hear that now, oh, he, he was thinking about committing murder, then I, this will be the part for your character <laughs> witness. Okay. That yeah. I mean, so many people have said to me, though, man, I, I, you know, I totally want that to be my best friend, you know, mm-hmm. or I would love to be in his congregation or because I love that you, you do give that message of hope and positivity. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for having me. Oh yeah. Uh, so, all right. Until our next episode, which will be on ADD. Thank you for coming on the virtual couch. Thanks for having thanks, me. PC. All right. Appreciate right. you. Hey, whoa, don't go anywhere just yet. Don't touch that dial. Don't press that button. Stay tuned because now I'm going to go right into the message from Summit Church with Pastor Chris Young interviewing me about uh, overcoming some of the challenges of mental health. Well, God bless you guys. Good morning. morning. You look fantastic. Thank you for being here today. Hey, this is an important series that we're in the middle of. If you have not been here, you've missed a week, 
Um, for some reason, you haven't been able to catch up with the uh, messages. I really, really, really want to strongly encourage you. Uh, download the Summit Church app if you haven't already, or go to mysummit.church and listen to the messages. Um, here's why. I am absolutely 100% convinced that you are either struggling, dealing, fighting, battling with emotional health you have in the past or you're going to in the future and this is an important series for you to be a part of or just as importantly, somebody important in your life is dealing with and they're looking for a safe place to go to with some of their struggles and battles and they don't know who's safe around them and it can be very isolating and alienating. You know, there's a passage of scriptures in Proverbs 27 or 23, 7, sorry, that says, as a man thinks, so is he. Or I memorized it in the King James, as a man thinketh, so is he. Now, that actually is a passage, if you read it in some other translations, it's actually a passage about a guy and it says, uh, he'll tell you to eat all you want but he'll be fuming inside that he has to pay the bill. Because here's what that means, is no matter what we do on the outside, the real us is what we're thinking on the inside, what we're feeling on the inside, because all of us are really good at putting on a front. All of us are really good at projecting something that's not authentic and it's not true and it feels very unsafe and very vulnerable to be true and really can you imagine if we all emoted all the time, if we all put our thoughts out there all the time, if we all put everything we feel out there all the time. It would be a messy, messy world. So maybe there's some health in the fact that we know how to regulate some of those, but it also has convinced us that really nowhere is a safe place for us to be authentic or true to our thoughts. But what if all of our thoughts happen to be based in health, happen to be um, uh, uh, safer emotions, happen to be well-regulated emotions, happen to be well-thought-out emotions, happen to be ones that we wouldn't be afraid to show out loud? Listen to what it says in Philippians 4.8. I've certainly read this many, many times before, and I'm going to do it again. Finally, brothers and sisters, that's all of us, fill your minds. This is an activity that you and I are responsible to do. We're responsible to take ownership of our thoughts. Fill your minds with beauty and truth. Not just, not just fun, pleasant things, because that's beautiful, but it's not always authentic and true. So fill your minds with beauty and truth. They're not mutually exclusive. They can exist together. Meditate. That doesn't mean Eastern meditation. It means fix your thoughts on Set your thoughts on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is virtuous, whatever is praiseworthy. Those are amazing thoughts for you and I to carry around. And what if that was what was filling our minds and filling our emotions? But the reality is that's not what fills our thoughts and fills our emotions because we have to battle with negative thinking. We have to battle with unhealthy thoughts. We have to battle with destructive thoughts. We actually have to battle with emotions that go so deep they've convinced us that the only thing we can do is end our lives to make all of it stop. That's how destructive and powerful our thought life can be. And that's what brings us to this important passage, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, we are demolishing arguments and ideas. 
We're demolishing thoughts that are outside of us and thoughts that originate inside of us. That's what that means. We're demolishing arguments and ideas. Every high and mighty philosophy that pits itself against the knowledge of the one true God. In other words, every thought that pretends like it knows more than God knows. We are taking prisoner of, we're taking prisoners of every thought, every emotion, and subduing them into obedience to the anointed one. That means this, in order for our minds to be full of all the good things and our emotions to be all the good things and healthy things that we want, we have to spend some time doing some practical warfare and bringing down the thoughts that are destroying us. And so that, believe it or not, is the shortest message you are ever going to hear at Summit Church. My message is done. Isn't that amazing? And the crowd erupted in applause. Yes, absolutely. Because what I wanted to do today is spend some time giving you practical conversation and practical tools to actually bring those thoughts into submission. And I've asked a good friend of mine, Tony Overbay, who is a great therapist. He's an amazing podcaster. He speaks all over. He's got book contracts. This guy's a big deal. One day he's going to be too big for us. And you're going to go, I remember when that dude was on our stage. He's been here before. He did something on marriage and did something on parenting and blew it out of the water and we really love having him and he's a great friend of the church and so would you guys help welcome therapist Tony Overbay okay you almost made me want to leave Chris (laughs) I've set set high expectations for you I think so thank you for being thank you for being here I know it's a it's a big deal you're you're busy 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 guy I'm not Tony that and busy, I have Chris. to. I'm really Tony not. and I have to. I'm meet. not that big of a deal. I have to say that. By the way, we have to meet at nine o'clock at night because that's about when his day ends. And so um, I'm I'm super thankful you're here. Um, and and you and I had a little time to talk about uh, some of these things. And I know you're super passionate about this. You help walk people through this all week long. And I, I kind of wanted to. And you know, this is my heart is to sort of bring a really good therapy session. Okay. A group therapy session, only they don't get to participate. <laughs> this is a safe place. Everything stays in the room. Yeah, Confidentiality. <laughs> okay. Now I'm feeling it. Everybody lay down. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Everybody turn your aisle into a couch. Um, lay on your neighbor. That shouldn't be awkward at right. all. Uh, yeah. So it, for you guys, for the sake of this, number one, it's likely we won't get to every good thought and every good tip and every practical thing. So... You and I are going to, uh, Tony does a, a great podcast that you may think about subscribing to and, uh, super helpful. It's called the virtual couch and, um, has a lot of these kind of thoughts and a lot more focused and concentrated than what we'll get to do here. But we're actually going to do one as kind yeah. of a continuation of this conversation. And you're going to release it Thursday as a special yeah, episode. Yeah, exactly. Chris and I, uh, Pastor Chris and I are going to get together because that short sermon was just a trick. So he's going to do a very long sermon of sorts on my podcast. Yeah. Uh, so today is hopefully going to hit some really good highlight stuff. I encourage you go crazy with your notes. And uh, we're going to sort of use our outline as a, as a general guide to get us through this conversation. But we want to hop right into it. Hey, so here's what we're going to talk about. To navigate my way out of negative and destructive thoughts because that's what we're taking on today, bringing those into submission, I need to, number one, realize that everyone, everyone deals with negative thoughts 
And I'm no exception. So huge key is don't exclude yourself from this conversation because you think that there's other people who need it worse than you do. Every single one of us, it's a tool that the enemy uses. We live in brokenness because of our sin. Negative thoughts are the consequence of the kind of world that we live in and the kind of temptations that we face. So you are the target of this conversation, okay? So um, yeah, Tony, you had some amazing uh, thoughts and we talked a little bit about um, uh, what we were going to, yeah, well, and you teed it up. So, I mean, the, and I love where, uh, Pastor Chris starts that we all have a million different thoughts going through our minds. And even if you look at data in one given minute, you can have a hundred different thoughts. Mm. And, and so you can have thoughts of happy thoughts, sad thoughts. Right now, you've probably already thought, man, the, the gleam on that guy's head is insane, <laughs> right? You've thought about really what's a podcast. I mean, a million different thoughts, but it's, it's, it's kind of wild that why we attach to the thoughts that we do. And so I want to do a really quick introduction on why yeah. it can be so difficult to be happy. And, and so if you think about it, our minds now, our modern minds now, are designed to analyze and plan and create, and they can, you know, they can do so many wonderful things. But if we kind of take a step back, and I think of even if you go back to, I don't know, let's look at Old Testament times, and all right. the fire and brimstone and all these sort of things, is that you know, we, we kind of grew up, our minds grew up in a way that was essentially what we call a don't-get-killed device. So, I mean, your, your brain was designed, you know, you needed to uh, basically eat and drink and find shelter and, uh, you know, um, and right. procreate, replenish the earth, those right. good things. But it wasn't to, to joke. I mean, think about even the term of court jesters. We used to have to tell somebody it is now time for the court jester to come in and, and crack jokes. And uh, now right. we, we crack jokes all the time. Yeah. So it wasn't designed that way initially. So with every generation, our, our human mind was in, you know, continually trying to look out for what it had to worry about. Uh, it was, it was becoming increasingly skilled at predicting things that it, we had to be worried about. Mm. And so back in the old days, we were, we were, I mean, basically making sure that we weren't going to get attacked by, uh, I don't know, strangers, creatures, that sort right. of thing. Yeah. Um, but now avoiding danger. Now we're kindly, now we, we are judging things every day in our lives. Are they good or bad? Mm. And, uh, are they safe or dangerous or harmful or helpful? But now those things have evolved into, it's not, now it's about, are we going to lose a job? Are we going to get a, right. a disease? Um, what, what happens if uh, something happens to one of our kids? Um, there's so many things now that our brain is still doing this thing where it's looking out. It thinks it's doing us a favor hmm. by looking out and trying to predict danger and trying to avoid danger. So it's kind of a no wonder that our brains are so focused on what if, the what ifs. You know, what if this happens? And, and, and it seems maybe we're overly focused and afraid of things that don't pose a threat they, they to us won't. at all. So our yeah. mind is completely filled with negative thoughts when there may not be yeah. anything to worry so about. So we worry, yeah, we spend so much time worrying about things that probably aren't ever going to happen. Right. But our brains think that it, they're protecting us. Because again, we've kind <laughs> of, uh, we've, we're, we've grown into this creature that no longer looks at it as a don't get killed device of the brain. But right. you know, we also want to mix in love and passion and all of these wonderful things. But the brain's constantly still trying to say, but what if, what if mm. this happens? What if this happens? And so, yeah, we sometimes avoid situations because of those what ifs. And so, and we also, and I think this is important, we, we have this inherent need to belong to a group. And early on, if you're, if you're, you know, your group booted you out, now all of a sudden you literally might be eaten by the wolves. So, I mean, so not only are we trying to see what is ahead or trying to predict things that might, um, get us. And, right. and again, most of those things that won't, but we're also now comparing ourselves to others. Yeah. And, and so we start comparing, am I fitting in? Am I doing the right thing? Am I contributing enough? Am I not? And so am I doing anything that might get me rejected? So if you put those two things together, that's quite a combo pack right. of, uh, 
you know, we're, we're kind of... And we have to deal with those 24 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week, because social media presents those scenarios to yeah. us. We're always connected to people, judging ourselves against people. Somebody throws out an idea that's threatening to us. So well, it's look not- at that one. So think of if you see somebody that, that shows pictures of a, of a wonderful vacation. Now, right. First of all, you think that that's all they do is vacation, and that vacation <laughs> was amazing. And if you've been on vacations, especially, and I go back to, I mean, I have kids here, but um, we used to take pictures and make photo books of vacations so that they would think that they actually had a good time. Because at the time of the vacation, I think at Disneyland, and uh, I realize I'm, I need to slow things down here. But, you know, all the, you, you can never go to the right place at the same time. Somebody wants a corn dog. Somebody wants a churro. Yeah. The churro is the right answer. We all know that. But so, and, and we're doing all these things, and the kids are crying, and you're holding one, and you're not. And, and so, but then you're taking pictures, and you're telling them you're having a good time. So we see that stuff on social media, and yeah. we think, man, they're having a good time. And then we start thinking, okay, but what if I did that? If I did that, you know, then we might, uh, we might run out of our savings, or I'm afraid to fly, or what yeah. if something happened to the airplane, or, or what if I go to Hawaii, and what if that's the one time wow. that there's a shark? And, so we, we just, we can't even be happy in the moment when we're seeing those things that we're even comparing ourselves to. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry, I can keep going. No, you keep going. Keep okay. going. You're good. <laughs> so, so then, and then I, I just want to make this point as well. So we can kind of see why it can be difficult to be happy. I just wanted to set the stage there. And there's a social psychologist named David Wagner who back in the 80s, so not that long ago when you and I had this flowing hair, <laughs> um, where, where he did a lot of work, <laughs> but he did a lot of work of then just saying, okay, what's ironic then is when we feel stressed, then we do happen to attach to those negative thoughts and those negative feelings. And just the concept of that then causes us to even have more negative feelings. Mm. And so where I just want to end this part is everybody. We go back to that. Everybody has unwanted thoughts. There's a pretty fascinating thing that has a, a really nerdy name called ironic process theory, mm-hmm. but it's really called unwanted thought syndrome. And what that says, and I love this concept, yeah. is that everybody has these thoughts. Uh, and I like to give an example. If you get me on a tall building, for whatever reason, my brain immediately says, you could totally jump. You know, my legs get all jiggly. <laughs> right. I have not jumped to this day. I can tell you that. Huh. So we all have these, th- huh? <laughs> <laughs> so we all have these thoughts. Yeah, every, I mean, they're, they're, they're uh, angry thoughts or, um, you know, inappropriate thoughts, whatever. We have them. Right. They're, they're just right. going through our brain. Um, but so everybody has them. Just because you have them, the second tenant of inappropriate thought syndrome is just because you have them doesn't mean that that's who you are, mm. that you're going to do those things. I think that's a very important one. And then the third part of that, and this is key, thought suppression doesn't work. And that's the thing where when we get down, we've set the stage of why we start to feel the way we do. And then we tell ourselves, I shouldn't be thinking that. Yeah. I, I always say, whenever I speak about this, that I say your brain actually has a little, they're having fun with you. Your brain's having fun with you. It has a sign. And when you say to yourself, I shouldn't be thinking that, your brain goes, what, this? You know, it holds up the sign. <laughs> right. You know? And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even not think about the thing I'm trying not to think about. Yeah. And your brain's like, you mean this thing. Yeah. You know? And so inappropriate thought syndrome doesn't work. This is that thing where, you know, and maybe you've heard this before, but this is the study that said, hey, whatever you do right now, don't think of a fluffy white polar bear. Just do not think about it. That's my only thing I'm asking you to. And everyone in the room just thought of one, except for usually it's uh, young teenage boys who say, no, I didn't. Um, but so, but so thought suppression doesn't work. What we are going to get to or learn today is that having those thoughts we really need to learn how to just kind of step back mm. and realize there's a whole bunch of thoughts coming through my brain. And I'm a big fan of just kind of looking at those thoughts going, oh, okay, I see what you're doing there, brain. Right. You know, trying to throw that, you could jump off the, you know, the inside atrium of the embassy suites into that koi pond. Yeah. Um, not to be specific. I just mean that. <laughs> when I go Seems to, really specific, but go ahead. A little bit. But, but anyway, so just, I want you, you know, you're normal. You know, we have these thoughts, but the more we worry about those thoughts, the worst that they can often get. And so we need to throw out the idea that we can just um, 
unthink our bad yeah. thoughts. We, we, yeah. we can't just go, don't think, don't think, don't think. That's no. never going to work it for doesn't. us. It doesn't. And even on that, I, and I, it breaks my heart when people say as well, where they wake up one day and they say, all right, you know what? I am just going to focus on positive and have good, happy thoughts today. Right. That's, and I love that. I do the same. But then inevitably, here, woo, there goes a thought right by my head that wasn't yeah. so positive. And then what do we do? We go, I can't even do this. Yeah. Know, I can't even. I can't even stay happy for ten minutes. Yeah, and and so it's really learning how to step back and just notice. Oh, that's there's a thought. Totally normal thought. for us to do that. Totally normal. Okay. Yeah. Number two is this: to navigate our way out of negative and destructive thoughts, we need to avoid old habits that keep me trapped in my negative thinking. Yeah, and so here I like to just. I'll make this so quick. I know time goes so so fast. But I like to talk about what I call the emotional baseline theory, and I will make this so fast. When life is going amazingly well, I like to say that your baseline of emotions are high. And so you are met with decisions every day, and you're going to respond to them based on where your emotional baseline is. So when you do feel down, or maybe you've been sick, or maybe you've lost a job, or there's Mm -hmm. something that's happened with a loved one, your emotional baseline is low. And so you are going to respond differently to those same things that come at you every day. So those are the things that start to keep us trapped in in this negative thinking is, when we start to feel down and we don't feel like responding, or when, when there are people around us that say, come on, just come outside. Like, yeah. let's, just, let's just go do something. When your baseline of emotions are low, um, it really looks heavy to try to get out and do something different. Well, you said something when we were talking that where you decide to go eat is affected by where your emotional baseline is. is. Yeah. Because when my emotional baseline is low, I look for comfort in eating. I don't yeah. look for satisfying a hunger. I go, I want something that makes me feel safe and warm. Mm-hmm. And it's usually fried yes. as though, as what makes yes, me feel is. safe and warm. And I will say that is a temporary uh, <laughs> situation, but yes, that is the way we go. Yeah. I mean, that gets into a whole other thing. Maybe we'll talk about that on the podcast, but where, when we have had experiences where we have comfort eight or where we've turned to, to things that haven't been very good for us, whether it's you know, gambling, alcohol, pornography, all those sort of things, you know, the brain does get a temporary relief. And so what starts to happen is we create these neuropathways of when I'm feeling down, you know, your brain, again, thinking it's doing you a favor, says, I got this. Mm-hmm. We got a very quick pick-me-up over here and this giant bag of candy. And, you know, and yeah. right then you're like, I want it. And then as soon as And that, there's reward in there. That. Is. Even yeah. if it's temporary, there's reward yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Versus somebody going, hey, when your emotional baseline is low, think about getting into a counseling and you go, oh gosh, then there's money involved and I don't Absolutely. have time to take off work. The, the, the real solution feels negative and the negative solution seems positive. Yeah. Well, let me hit those real quick too. So there's ways that people typically deal with the negative emotions. One of those is denial. I mm-hmm. think that's one of the most pom- po- uh, uh, ones that we do often yeah. where we say, uh, I'm not even gonna worry about it. It'll be fine. Uh, it'll go away. Right. Right. There's also withdrawal, which I think withdrawal is one that we really need to watch out for. Again, <clears throat> excuse me. It's really normal. We've identified that to have these negative emotions. So we're going to have up and down days where things start to get more. We want to put more attention is when we start to withdraw and not want to do the things that we normally want to do. Right. So this is the thing where if you love exercise and you don't want to go exercise, or I have a client right now that loves crafting and they, they have all the craft supplies in the world, but they don't want to craft. Mm-hmm. So when those things happen, that's one of the ways that we start to deal with this negative thinking. We right. withdraw. And the, the hard part about withdrawing is that you know, we need to interact with people, that we are social creatures. Right. And so when we withdraw, there's a part of us that does get to continue that what's wrong with me story that our brain plays in our minds. Right. So as hard as it can be, and we'll get to some of that too, when we are feeling this way, we, we really need to find those people that we can talk to or that are safe for us. And I love how you said at the beginning, even if you're not dealing with this, if you notice somebody starts to isolate or withdraw, 
then, you know, mm. please reach out to them. And this is the part where I feel like I really feel that uh, this is where the, the world of the Holy Ghost resides for me and so many clients that I work with or the Holy Spirit, where when you feel, I haven't seen somebody in a while, or I feel a prompting and I want to reach out to them, you know, even then your mind goes to this, well, I don't want to bother them. You know, right. they might be busy or whatever. Bother them. Yeah. You know, reach out to them. Because yeah. if you have thought about somebody that you haven't seen in a while, maybe they are withdrawing. And that's something that they need is somebody to reach and out to. And maybe don't take them. their initial answer of how you're doing and they say, oh, I'm fine. I love that. But you sense that they're not. Yeah. You know, I remember uh, um, a lot of times people will say somebody, I was at a situation where somebody, had, uh, their spouse had passed away. And everybody was going up to them and saying, hey, let me know if I can do anything. How you mm-hmm. doing? And they're just like, I'm good. You know, and then I got to talk with this person later and they weren't doing well. Yeah. But they had no idea what somebody could do for them. So this is the thing where I love, you know, it's okay to just bring them dinner. It's okay to go mow their lawn. It's yeah. okay to just, you know, just say, I'm just going to sit here and watch a movie with you. Yeah. And just to be there. Yeah. That, that, and, and because we want people to, to, to care about us. We really do. We want to be heard. Right. Um, I, I also put on here that some of the other ways people do is bullying. But what I mean by that is, it, you know, sometimes it's easier for us to join in and make, you know, if we're feeling down, we will make fun of someone else because mm. that's one of those, you know, kind of. As wild as it sounds, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Again, right. it's temporary in that moment, so we have to watch out for that. And then there's the concept of self-harm. When we think about self-harm, we hear often things like, you know, we hear about cutting or we hear about those things that uh, sometimes we hear about that a lot, especially with uh, teenagers. Or, right. But but self-harm can also mean binge eating and undereating or, or overeating or, or other risky behaviors. Mm-hmm. And then people often turn to substance abuse, gambling, alcohol, pornography. So those are ways that people tend to deal with these negative emotions. So I want to just bring some awareness to that because if you are heading down that path at all, or if you see someone that is, then now's the time to do, to do something about it, to reach out to somebody. Yeah, that's really good. Man, I wish we could spend more time on this. All right, number three and finally is this, is uh, to navigate my way out of uh, destructive and unhealthy emotions, I need to choose a new path to healthier thoughts and emotions. And I put healthier because I think um, sometimes we set, like the vacation standard, we set the standards so high mm-hmm. on what health looks like that we never give ourselves credit for the healthier journey to Absolutely. get there. And those, yeah. those forward movements are really something to celebrate. So, Well, yeah. and I think uh, the, the emotional baseline piece, and I got off that, and we'll talk about that more on the podcast, but what my whole point there is when you are feeling down, honestly, I've had people set a timer for an hour, and at an hour they get up and they, they walk around their house. Mm. I mean, you, you have to build from somewhere. An emotional baseline is really about self-care. So a lot of times we'll feel like, well, I can't spend time and read because I should be doing these other things. But if you spend a little bit of time reading and that raises your emotional baseline, things look a lot wow. different even from just a little bit higher up. Yeah. So I was sharing with yeah. you that I raised my emotional baseline through impulse. I bought a little fishing boat this week. Yes. And, and next <laughs> week it'll be something else because I'll go board with that. But it really does help regulate me if I get very stressed or there's a lot of anxiety I'll go work on that thing or, and it almost doesn't matter what it is as long as it's healthier than the thing I'm doing and it's harmless. You know, I go out and do that or I, I I go golf or I I just have something that's got to get me out of the moment and it feels irresponsible because I should be doing something else. Don't should on yourself. That's (laughs) what we got to remember that. I had a client once and this is the best example I I know I love of this one is uh, he was very down and and he should be at a lot of things in his life that were, were a challenge. And, um, and so he liked to, to read, but every time he, he said he should be reading, he thought he should be reading these very spiritual mm. tomes and that he needed to get right with God if he was going to do anything. And, he, and I totally agree, but then he was beating himself up about that. Right. Well, he liked to, to read legal thrillers, John Grisham. Yeah. So yeah. he prescribed himself 30 minutes of John Grisham a day, and when he did that, he felt better, and then yeah. he took a dog for a walk, and then he started doing some work. So it is, whatever kind of raises that emotional baseline. Yeah. 
So we and then you've actually got a thing you call P A T H. Yeah, so PATH, the acronym. Um, so PATH, pause, so I'm pausing, acknowledge, um, think, and help. And I really want to spend, I know we're almost out of time here today, but I want to talk um, about pause. So this is a big step of once we've talked about why we have the feelings we do, when we recognize we're having those feelings or emotions, to pause. And this is because instead of acting on those feelings or emotions right away, um, we stop ourselves and kind of think things through. Now, if you're a, a, you know, a mindfulness practitioner, or you can turn to your breathing, or you can turn to prayer, or, or meditation, these sort of things, some people will just count to 100 or count mm. backwards, or whatever it is to kind of get you to pause. But I think that the important thing here is, that, and I want to make sure we address this, the importance of a pause. I want to bring, uh, tell a story about, there's a gentleman named Kevin Hines, and uh, he survived a suicide attempt in 2000 of jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. And as he fell toward the water, he decided that he wanted to live. And after all, positioned himself so he hit the water in a way that he felt like he had the best chance. He suffered serious injuries, and, and he is, he's a motivational speaker now. But he said his life was saved by a black seal swimming below him, and he later attributed the seal's presence as a sign from God. Mm. He's an amazing motivational speaker. But I just, you know, we can't run away from these conversations around things like suicide. Right. And, I had shared some data with you, I know, where uh, 29 people who have survived suicide attempts off of San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge said they regretted their decision as soon as they jumped, immediately when they jumped. Wow. And, and there's an article by um, a person named Stacy Friedenthal. It was titled, Where Are They Now? The Fate of Su- Suicide Attempt Survivors. And what Dr. Friedenthal found was that out of 515 people who had intended to jump but, but were stopped, only 7% actually went on to, to take their lives later mm. in life. So, I mean, what he found is remarkable that suicidal crisis is often, very often, temporary. Yeah. And one of the messages that I think is that we, that we hear that is not correct is that if we talk about it, that it's going to increase the, you know, suicidality. And, yep. and the fact is that is, it couldn't be more, yeah, so false. It's, it's the opposite. The more we can talk about it, the, the, the numbers go down. Yeah, as if we're planting a thought right. in their head they hadn't yeah. thought of before. Like we introduced an idea, like, I don't know if you know this, yeah. but there is the option of suicide. Right, and it's like yeah. the person just wants to be able to be heard or be able to, to talk about it. And, and, I, and just a couple other things. I, this Dr. Friedenthal went on to found over 177 other studies throughout the world that showed similar findings. So mm. This is, I mean, this is a, it, it's a fact that, uh, that talking about it doesn't make it worse. Um, and I like that there's one former suicide survivor, Kim Baldwin, described, and this is, this is powerful. Said the moment that he let go of the railing, he immediately thought, what am I doing? This is the worst thing I could do in my life. And he instantly thought of his wife, his daughter. He didn't want to die. Mm. He, he recalls realizing that everything that he had thought was unfixable was totally fixable, except for having him just jump. Right. And, and so I do find that, you know, part of this pause is when we feel or, or recognize these big emotions, or hopefully you can recognize those in other people as well that then you do talk about it. You, you, you help them find this pause. Yeah. You can, I mean, I, it, it seems absurd to jump to this conclusion, but that person may have already jumped to it. If I were to say, hey, man, you doing okay? And if you say, oh, you know, blah, 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 I'm, I'm, we're going through some marriage stuff, we're, I've really been struggling, whatever, to actually introduce the question and go, you're, have you been thinking about Absolutely. hurting yourself at all? Yeah. I mean, where are you at on that? Yeah. And not dismiss it quickly, but actually open that can of worms and not feel like we all have to be therapists right. and go, okay, well, oh my gosh, I don't have the, I don't yeah. have the tools to fix you. So I'm not going to ask the question. Right. Maybe that pause for them is enough to start Absolutely. bringing up the, bringing up the baseline. Bring up the emotional baseline. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful that you, you put that out there. The, uh, 
The other thing is just acknowledge your feelings, and uh, I know we're out of time here, so we'll talk no, about okay. some of these things on the... Actually, five minutes. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Oh, that's my, that's my red I, warning. <laughs> and I'm waiting for the music to come on behind me. Right. I told him not to come up because it would be weird if we were just talking about this, and then there was like music okay. behind us. Okay. We can make... I know you like that. I, really I can make do. it happen. I, really, I want him to follow me around everywhere. He said he's very expensive, though. I feel yeah. like if I had flowing hair and music behind me everywhere I went, then yeah. just life would be a breeze, right? <laughs> Um, so acknowledge what you're feeling though. Uh, okay, I'm glad we have time because this is another one in that uh, path. So pause, acknowledge, acknowledge. And I just want to talk about this concept of, this is a, it doesn't sound as cool as I want it to sound, the psychological yeah. term of private experiences. All that means is you, everyone in this room, you're the only, I and mean, this is going to sound kind of cheesy at first, so bear with me, but you're <laughs> the only you. So, and what that means is you're the only person on the face of the earth who, and we're talking nature, nurture, we're talking DNA. Uh, birth order, um, you know, hopes, dreams, fears, abandonments, rejections, what you move, not. You're the only person that has those experiences, and those experiences bring you to this moment right now, or whatever the moment is, and, and so when you have the feelings you do, it's because you're human, mm. because you've been through all those situations. So a lot of times when people say, well, you shouldn't feel that way, or shouldn't think that way, they, well, until somebody's been exactly in my, my shoes, yeah. you know, it's, we really want to be heard, and that's why it can be so difficult. Even when people, bless their hearts, say things like, Hey, don't worry about that. You know, yeah. uh, I, I thought that I felt that way before. And here's what I did. It's like, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But people really need to be heard. That is where they, you know, you really need to feel like somebody understands. Yeah. Because, you know, even when we say, and I talk about this one often, if a kid comes up and says, I got a bad grade of math, I'm not good at math. And the, the parent immediately says, hey, you know, you got to do hard things. Or I was bad at math, too. Or um, ask them first. Because they might have uh, they might have a learning disability. Right. They might be being bullied in class. Mm-hmm. You know, they might whatever it might be. Might have narcolepsy and fall asleep every day. But find out first, because you know we all have our own experiences that we bring to the table, and that's yeah. why we have the thoughts and feelings we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So think, and then the last one is help. Uh, did we skip one? No, acknowledge. Yeah, we uh, think. So uh, this is the one where man, we'll talk about this more too. Okay. Anxiety, the brain again. Now that we've set all the, the table of how our emotions and, and thoughts work. Think of what anxiety now is. So anxiety is a defense mechanism. It's a warning signal that the body is trying to do. And so it doesn't mean you're, it doesn't mean to do bad like it often does for people right, that struggle right. with anxiety. But when you start to feel anxious because you're worried about something, your heart rate literally elevates. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, um, your brain starts to release this chemical called cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Yeah. And, and so again, it thinks if you're getting, if you're getting anxious, your, your, your body says, okay, battle stations right. and it's going to put the, the part of your brain that really likes to think things through and reason it's going to tell it you guys take a back seat for a minute because things are about to get real hmm. you know and so then the more you think about the things that you're thinking about the more you feel anxious and the more cortisol raises in your brain and the more your rational part takes a yeah back seat. and i think i read a study that said it begins to narrow your ability to choose other options, you only see one or two. Because it thinks it's doing you a favor. Yeah. It thinks it's battle time. It's, it's sort of time. the fight or flight. Absolutely. Yeah, That's it puts exactly us in a very does. defensive position instead yeah. of a logical, reasonable, yeah. 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 So one of the first things that you can do in that scenario, so after you've kind of paused, you have to acknowledge, you start to think about what these feelings are you're going through, this is where it's important to, um, you know, just kind of take a few deep breaths or get outside. I went to a training once and they said the best thing you can do for anxiety is just, and they, he was joking, I realized after, but he said, just go to a ginormous mountain to the top of it with a 360 degree unobstructed view. You do that, you're fine. Yeah. You know, but it's because the concept though is your brain wants to know that, you know, all danger has been eliminated. Yeah. But, but so the way we do that though is it really is to feel like we can kind of get control of our breathing maybe, start to lower the heart rate, 
then the brain will say, I think the, I think the, mm, you know, the threat's passed. Gone. And, yeah. yeah. So we can kind of start to calm down. Yeah. So I think that's important to know as well. That's and good. the H is help that uh, really seek help. And that's it. More I can go on. Right. <laughs> we'll get, no. give two minutes on help. <laughs> I was like, we were going. We were gonna, I know, right? He's I all it's help. Too. Just fill right. that in. We're done. Yeah, yeah. go get help. It'll work. Um, but that's where then it, it, it does. It, it you have to learn to be vulnerable, and that's where I like what you said about finding people that are safe. Yeah. And so, um, and and I feel like when people have this knowledge, sometimes that does make it easier for them to reach out. So if you are the person that someone is reaching out to please just do me a favor and just listen, you know, just, just, Hey, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what that's like. Tell me what you're going through. Um, I've done don't whole, feel obligated to fix no, them. You don't have to fix them. Yeah. You don't. As a matter of fact, this is where I say, bless our hearts. When we say, well, have you thought about this or have you tried this or what about this? What the person often does is they, they kind of start to feel defensive because yeah. they feel like, is they, they probably have thought of those things. Yeah. Or they have tried to do those things. Yeah. So the first place is just to kind of go from empathy. This is the time where you are going to become, you know, someone's lifeline. If you reach out to them, and if you are the person going through that, um, now's the time where you can phone a friend or you can ha- use a lifeline. Yeah. And so if I can kind of, uh, it kind of end with, this is the part where if I want to kind of tie things back to the spiritual and I go back to that, God's the only one that knows exactly what you've been through. Right. And we think about that atonement of the Savior, Christ, yeah. and, and, and the time that he spent in the Garden of Gethsemane, bleeding through every pore, and that he died not only for our sins, but I firmly believe that he also died for, so that he has felt all of our pains and our iniquities. He's the master with empathy. And so... When you really do feel like no one understands you, that that's that that Christ is the person that you can turn to first, right? And get that clarity and kind of feel that compassion and understanding. And sometimes that's the place we need to go to then feel like we can go and reach out for help. If you feel like you've disappointed him, you haven't. You right? Know? He's right. the one that knows you're down here. I mean, I, I always say that when we get up to heaven and we say, "Hey, sorry, I kept going back and doing this thing," he's not even going to let us finish that sentence. Right? He's going to just bring us in. No, I'm sorry, things were so rough down there. Yeah, you, know, you did great. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and that's kind of, I guess, my message. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, can I have Gavin come back? And I want to take just a second here. Um, you know, uh, Tony ended with an, an excellent thought. Uh, Isaiah 53, 5 is a prophetic verse. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and forecasted Jesus and not only who Jesus would be, but what Jesus would do. And Isaiah 53, 5 says, and by his stripes, the stripes on his back, the the whipping that he took, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. And I, again, because I believe we're holistic, I believe that it means we can be emotionally and mentally healed, physically healed, and spiritually healed. And there's wholeness in faith. There's wholeness in Christ. But if you look throughout scripture, it's not as if God just goes, you got to just pray your way through it. For a long time in churches, if you had something and something was going on, sorry, is Oh, there you are. Hi, buddy. (laughs) A long time in churches, if you were sick, if you were, especially emotionally, it was weird because when you were physically sick, people would would, uh, pray for you and nobody had an issue with you going to the doctor. But if you were struggling emotionally and mentally, it's you just, it's not, I, I, when I grew up, in church, it was, you did not go to a therapist. You did not go to a psychologist. That was absolutely taboo because they really distrusted and believed that those people would mess with your mind and, and, and move you away from faith. Why is it we feel comfortable if we break an arm? We don't walk into the garage and duct tape a two by four to it and go, I'm good. I can fix this myself. Everybody go, you're crazy to try that. 
yet we'll try to walk through emotional brokenness and mental brokenness by ourselves and think that we're capable of fixing ourselves. So I think one of the most important things that you and I can do today is decide that we're no longer, we're going to refuse to walk through emotional brokenness alone. There are some amazing tools that you got today. This was a great mini therapy session, and I'm going to encourage you to do two things, three things. Number one, begin to reach out to a safe person. Not everything is therapy actionable. Maybe the thing you're going through doesn't uh, elevate and rise to the level of needing to go to a therapist. But if after talking to someone and just getting, I was talking to a friend uh, the other day and they said they just needed to kind of just get it out. And once it was said, then they felt way better and they moved on. And sometimes that's all you need, but sometimes that's not all you need. And when you find that talking it out or that the people you're talking to, they're not therapists. I don't, I don't do marriage counseling. I might sit down and do some coaching with people. And if I identify very quickly that they've got some big, big issues, I just go, Hey guys, this is where, this is where our time kind of has to transition. And I need to move you into really just referring you to a great therapist because I can't, I can't work this stuff out with you. I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'll be in your corner. I'm going to help whenever I can. I'm going to affirm the things that you're learning in therapy. And I'm, I'm here to talk with you. I'll go to coffee and listen to all the good things that are happening and all the progress that's being made. But I'm not equipped. And guess what? Your friends, your spouse, as much as they love you, people you trust, unless they are a therapist, they're not equipped to walk you the long road to healing. And so maybe you need to get into therapy. Um, and number three is this. It's not shameful in your faith to be broken emotionally. We don't feel shame if we're dealing. Lisa was really, really sick. By the way, she's back today and she's doing amazing. I know I, I um, yeah, a lot of you were very worried and concerned and, and sick as she's ever been, but God, God really walked her through it. Um, Lisa didn't feel spiritual crisis because of that. Didn't feel like she was a bad follower of Christ because of her sickness. But yet when it comes to mental illness and emotional struggles and suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety, we feel an emotional a spiritual disconnect. We feel a shame in our faith because of that. And you have to stop because that's the enemy working to keep you distanced from God, who is your healer. And so I really want to encourage you take those three action steps and then tune in, um, kind of uh, check out virtual couch on wherever you get your podcast from and um, tune in for sort of the continued conversation on this. And then Tony actually has a lot of very specific ones. So if you're dealing with stuff about anxiety or uh, pornographic uh, addiction or any of those, those kind of things, there's resources for you to kind of start that journey, maybe confidentially, and then move into a conversation that's a little bit bigger. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And we're going to pray and finish today. Father, you're so good to us. You're so loving. And you're drawn to our suffering. And that's why you sent your son to the cross. So that that complete and uh, 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 untainted sacrifice. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing more needed than what Jesus did for us on the cross to bring healing emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And we call on your healing power into our lives to begin the work of helping us walk out of the dangerous path 
of emotional unhealthiness and isolation. God, we're broken people. We're going to be sick physically and we're going to be sick emotionally and we're going to experience unhealthiness in our thoughts. And the more tools we have, the more quote unquote medicines that we have in our cabinet to work our way through this, the better off we are. And we thank you for being a God that loves us in our brokenness and is drawn to us in our brokenness. And I believe for healing to begin in lives today. I believe for marriages to be restored. I believe for hearts to be restored. I believe for minds to be restored because God, that's the way you created us. To live with the mind of Christ and to live with the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us not to be, not to be uh, uh, leading the Holy Spirit and having him have to catch up to sort of self-destructive behavior, but God, for us to pause and sit back and realize that we're in good hands. And so I'm so thankful for our time today and what you're going to begin to do in lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Could you guys give Tony a big hand? Thank him for being here this morning.